Hey moms, was your dinner last night the leftover chicken nuggets from your kid's try? Is your current idea of self-care closing the door when you pee? If the only chance you have for exercise is the squats you do when you pick up your kid's Legos, well then take a seat, mama. You're in the right place. I'm Corinne. And I'm Jess. And this is Mama Mama Bites. Hi, listeners. We hope that you love this chat that we had with Lindsay Stenevec, who is a registered dietitian and mom of two in San Diego, California. She's the owner of the practice Nutrition Instincts, and she is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian. You can regularly hear her speak on eating disorders, intuitive eating, and child feeding. And she is also the host of the Embodied and Well Mom show, formerly known as the Nurtured Mama podcast. She was so lovely, and we know that you'll fall in love with her just like we did. Okay, so... Lindsay, thank you so much for bearing with us in um, our technical difficulties <laughs> on the Mama Bites podcast. And um, to be honest with our listeners, this is a take two because it wasn't recording. And we're just so glad that you're so wonderfully patient with us. And so we asked how you're doing and how has your experience of going from one child to two been for you? Yeah. So uh, you know, reflecting on this time, I'm about nine months postpartum, so my son will be nine months in a couple of weeks. I have two kiddos. One is four, and the other one, of course, nine months about. And overall, I, I you know, when I think about my postpartum this far, I would say it's been really good. And that is not to confuse, um, be confused with the idea that it's been smooth sailing, or that there haven't been any issues or plenty of ups and downs or that I'm not still transitioning (laughs) into this whole two-kid world. Um, But, you know, I I will share that with my first son, I had postpartum depression and anxiety, and it I didn't realize what was going on until about 14 or so months after he was born. Mm So when I think about my postpartum with my first son, I was very, it's its pretty painful to think about. Mm-hmm. I was very disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like we had a connection, and my son and I, a lot of people, sometimes that's a symptom of postpartum depression or anxiety that you, that you don't feel that you're bonding with your baby. I did feel we had a connection, but I, I, my memory is very fuzzy of that time, and um, it just took a long time for me to realize that what I was experiencing was actually postpartum depression and anxiety. I kept saying, this will get better, this will get better, I'm overreacting, I'm sure I'm fine. Uh, what I will say for any moms listening, if you ever have the thought that goes back into your head over and over of, is this postpartum depression? And you're Googling it, <laughs> and you're wondering about it, go see someone it's- because people who aren't suffering from that probably aren't asking themselves that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or aren't suffering. Mm-hmm. So if you are suffering, it doesn't matter if it fits into a diagnosis or not, go see someone. The worst mm-hmm. thing that could happen is you go see someone and they say, you're doing awesome and you don't need to do any therapy, <laughs> which is probably not going to happen. No. Um, and so, you know, as much as that was very painful, you know, going through that, 
I did a lot of work once I got into therapy, and I did a um, mindfulness-based stress reduction class, which is a pretty intensive meditation class for mm-hmm. eight weeks. Um, uh, went on a medication for a short period of time, and you know, learned so much about myself and how I've been living my life prior to motherhood versus after. That going into this postpartum, I have realized how much more I have a much wider threshold of tolerance for my own emotions mm-hmm. um, and I just have so much more insight so when I experienced my mood dipping which it did about three between three and six months my mood was dipping and I could tell in my thoughts I could tell in my mood I could tell in my drive um, I knew within days or weeks that oh I know what this feels like I know what this is mm-hmm. this isn't my fault and I know what to do. I know where to go to get help. And, you know, I got in to see a therapist right away. and It was so helpful. And mm-hmm. I'm still doing that work um, because it is so helpful. It's, um, you know, I think th- therapists are amazing. <laughs> I really appreciate therapists. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, obviously I work with therapists a lot professionally too. And so um, that's just been I've been really thankful to have done that work because it's allowed me to have so much more insight and perspective this time around for the tough times um, so that I could be more present with the discomfort and the really great times as well. Mm. So that's sort of where we're at um, at this point, at least. Well, that's so great. That's so great to hear. I mean, yeah, I said this to you before during our first go round um, with technology, but I really just appreciate how articulate you are with this story. And I think it's a testament to, you know, the work that you've done around it. Um, and your descriptions of it are so accurate. Mm. Touch my heart a little bit. Right on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Thank absolutely. Um, so this is kind of a, a piggyback question and it has a couple of different parts but you mentioned a little bit about like your sort of your life before children and then your sort of your life after how would you define self-care um in your own life before kids after one kid after two what what did that self-care evolution look like for you oh my gosh yes you know I truly see self-care prior to kids as something that I talked a lot about Mm. and didn't implement all that often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, being self-care professionals in a self-care space, right? We talk all about it and we're working with our clients on it. And yet when I reflect, there was so, there was just, there wasn't, as again, this lack of insight, I think, um, into how much I needed and what that could look like for me in terms of just self-care, which is such a, kind of fluffy, broad term, Mm -hmm. Um, I think I sought, quote, self-care in my experiences. So having fun, going out with friends and going to fun things, I think that felt like self-care to me, which is Mm -hmm. self-care. But if you can't access those things, (laughs) whether because of your mood, because it doesn't bring you joy because your mood is depressed, Mm -hmm. or because logistically you're in survival mode postpartum, um, you're not going to be able to access those tools and those experiences as readily as you used to. And so for me, um, through the work that I had to do and, you know, going through this, the transition, I realized how much I think now my self-care is so much more fluid. 
It changes with periods of my life. I understand, you know, my self-care is going to look one way when I'm in survival mode, which we're all going to be in, especially as parents. You know, there's no way out of when your child gets sick and, you know, everything stops. You know, when your child mm-hmm. gets sick, you, one of you has to stay home or two of you have to stay home if you're if you're in a partnership. Um, you have to work that out. You have to change your work schedule, all these things. You go into survival mode, but there are ways to care for yourself in that mm-hmm. that are going to look very different than when you're not in that and you're in more of like a thrive mode, as I would say. So um, it's more fluid. It's accessible no matter what. So it could be as simple, quote, simple as bringing awareness to my breathing mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. going into my room and saying, I need five minutes and shutting mm-hmm. the door and, mm-hmm. you know, and letting my husband do his own version of that, you know, when I'm not in the room alone, so that our kids are always supervised. Um, but it's it's not always sure. You know, the pedicures and that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's great. It is self care, but it's actually one of the later things that I think of these days when I'm working with clients or when I'm doing my own work um, for myself. So mm. it's changed a lot, I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what you're saying about um, sort of before uh, thinking of it as, as experiential. Mm-hmm. I love I love yeah. that. Um, and sort of really kind of retooling it into um, like moment to moment um, as a parent, especially, you know, in those moments of crisis versus or, or just, you know, even the everyday crisis <laughs> getting dinner yeah, on the table and making sure or... it's not reliant on others all the time right. so sometimes mm. it is asking for help you know or whatever but um having a set of tools that you can access just with yourself too mm-hmm. um is so important because we're not you know I'm, we might not always have that exact you know support in place um or available to us so mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah, that's quite beautifully said for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think uh, sort of similarly, we would kind of ask the same questions about how you would have defined mindful eating um, before kids and, and, and where you are with that now, you know, after one, after two. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> well, so mindful eating, um, my professional and personal understanding of specifically mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, has evolved over the past four years because I, t- I think taking the MBSR class that I took, which is the mindfulness-based stress reduction course, mm-hmm. where you're basically in meditation for three to four hours at a time um, in different ways, not just sitting silently for about eight weeks, once a week, um, and learning about sort of its origins and what it's really about, which is simply paying attention to what is without judgment. Mm-hmm. Um you know, that it's not about outcomes. It's not about, uh, I think my evolution professionally has a, has mirrored the evolution from a motherhood perspective because it makes it, or parent parenting perspective, because, it, again, it makes it more accessible. Um, and it may just be a coincidence that that came with my motherhood journey. But mm-hmm. I think traditionally we think of mindful eating as this thing that you do really slowly where you taste all the flavors mm-hmm. and you smell it. And it takes an hour to finish a strawberry, you know. And that's, you know, there are versions of mindful eating that there are exercises we can do that are valuable that, I, that you know, are in that, that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the way I look at it now is just being able to drop into our bodies, be aware of our thoughts, be aware of our emotions, be aware of our physical sensations as we move throughout the eating process. And yes, that also would, you know, be involved with the taste and the texture and the smell and, and sort of how food feels physically in our bodies as well. Um, but looks more like little moments, little check-ins, just bringing awareness to the moment. And so if we're sitting with kids and we are at a family meal where it feels chaotic and that's affecting our eating, for me, mindfulness is one, you know, dropping that, doing our best, you know, to drop the judgment or drop the judgment of judgments um, (laughs) and be able to, again, drop into our bodies to just be aware of what's going on for us during that chaotic meal. Um, and that that may inform us on the next steps for how to care for us ourselves in that moment instead of feeling more reactive to the situation. Um, and I think can elicit, I've seen with community members that I work with in my mom community and in with clients, um, you know, it opens up the room for self-compassion to go, mm-hmm. oh, you know, mm-hmm. this chaotic meal is happening and my throat is really tight and my belly feels in knots and I have a headache and that noise that the, that my child is doing is just really eliciting these emotions in my body and oh were you, you know, at dinner I'm last night <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah no, this is my meal from last night. <laughs> you know, just to be able to understand all the things that are going on in our, in our bodies in those moments. Of course, it's going to impact our eating one way or another. And that, you know, gosh, the factors that, that, that influence that are, you know, we have to for another conversation. But um, to, to be able to inform ourselves of what's going on um, or get in touch with that information, I think, is what, for me, at this point in my career and personal life, you know, mindful eating embodies that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm not kidding about dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The annoying sound. I know all about that because my son does this really good monster truck revving sound. Oh my God. But the way I describe it, my husband and I always say, we say, it, like, it feels like it's drilling holes in my brain. It's, <laughs> My mother was always unreasonable with my comedy at the table, and now I'm the unreasonable mother <laughs> with the comedy <laughs> at the table. Oh, well. Oh, wow. I mean, like, yeah, I think this sort of leads us into, like, what what sort of prompted you to launch Nurtured Mama, and how did you know there was sort of, like, a, a need for this in the community? Yeah. Um. So basically, okay, so I've been in the field for about about 10 years now, mm-hmm. post-internship, and I uh, started my private practice about seven years ago. So I've sat in rooms with women and daughters and parents and children, you know, as both of you have, mm-hmm. um, and I know when I share this, you're going to say, you're going to be nodding your heads and saying, yes, I've heard the same things, um, but there were just undeniable patterns and emotions and fears that I have seen over and over again and undeniable like 
reactions on my end of what I felt needed to be done, but didn't necessarily feel like it was the right time where I, had, I could access that effectively. Let me explain. Um, so time after time after time, hearing from whether the client was the parent or the parent was in there with the child, but, you know, how do I not pass this down? How do I how do I feed my kids mm-hmm. while I'm healing from this? Mm-hmm. You know, can I do that? Can I can I feed my kids well while I'm healing from disordered eating or eating disorder? Or how do I raise kids to love their bodies when I hate my body? Mm-hmm. Um, can I do that? How do I do that? Um, you know, or even uh, getting um, calls from moms or doing work with moms where they call and say, you know, I've always tried to foster positive body image and, and, you know, I've tried to say the right things and my child is still coming to me saying she is unhappy with her body in one way or another. Um, and I'm starting to see some concerning behaviors about food. What do I do? Mm. And then I think also for parents who have put their kids, say on, on diets in the past, um, or they're coming to me asking me to help them put their child on a diet, even though my practice is weight inclusive, mm-hmm. grounded in health at every size, and I you know screen before people come in. But just like for adults, it's difficult to let go of that yeah. for their own sake. It's also a process to let go of that with a child. Um, and, you know, it never failed whenever I got, I've gotten parents in the room alone to talk through this, there is inevitably a, a breakdown, you know, there's emotion, there's tears. And they're saying, you don't understand. I can't watch my child suffer with this, Mm -hmm. with his or her body, with his or her weight, with food in the way that I have. You Mm -hmm. don't understand what Mm -hmm. I've been through in my life. And if I don't help my child change his or her body or their body, um, I can't watch them suffer. So they've lived a life of, you know, living in our culture, Mm -hmm. which, you know, there's it's weight bias and stigma and long history of dieting or an eating disorder um, or both. And understandably, you know, these are parents that love their kids. And as a parent now, that's, you know, to watch your child suffer is horrific mm-hmm. on any level. Mm-hmm. But to watch your child suffer in a way that you know that suffering, I think is even harder mm-hmm. um, sometimes. Um, and so you know, we can see how parents arrive at these conclusions. Um, and so I was in practice oftentimes feeling like either I, you know, I was here for the child, but I have two clients in the room or gosh, if I could have just worked with, you know, you earlier, mm-hmm. mom or dad mm-hmm. or parent mm-hmm. earlier, you know, if I could have, um, what, what can we do? How can we change this so that, there are protective things in place um, earlier on, and parents understand how they talk about bodies. Yes, does impact their children, and I, I'm really careful when I say that because I'm not blaming. And I want to be really clear about that. I'm not blaming because disorder dating and eating disorder develop for a variety of of reasons, and one thing you know doesn't cause that to happen. Um, but I see us as parents having the opportunity to be protective and help build resilience. And 
I think that has to start with how we perceive our bodies, how we talk about our bodies, how we feel about food, how we talk about food, that we might have a chance at building resiliency in our children so that when they go out into the world, they they sort of come back to what their truth is, ideally, that we have helped instill in them. Um, and again, not to say that if we do this, your child won't develop an eating disorder. Right. Again, because right. Right. there are plenty of people in our field um, who have kids, you know, who have eating disorders, and there's not... Um, there's no way to do whatever whatever you would perceive to be the perfect way, mm-hmm. you know, to talk about your body and talk about food mm-hmm. and prevent an eating disorder from mm-hmm. developing. Mm-hmm. But can we be protective? Can we build resiliency? Um, and and how do we do that? And how do we support parents with, and, and especially, you know, I have to say with moms and children, moms and daughters, um, not to... I think that there, from a cultural perspective, there's something about supporting moms with having an open discussion with their daughters, not in the way of, yeah, let's talk about how much we don't like our thighs, mm-hmm. but having the, an open discussion about when they, if when, you know, a daughter comes to us and says, I'm feeling this way about my body or any child, um, that we can be open and honest and listen instead of what I think most of the time the conversation goes, which is very well-meaning, which is, you're beautiful, mm-hmm. let's change the topic, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Our children are beautiful. Mm-hmm. All of our children are beautiful. But that doesn't open up dialogue of, you know, and, and isn't um, supportive for facilitating our child's own self-processing of their own feelings, you know, and how that can be really, you know, a normal feeling to have. And I understand and tell me more about that. How can I support you? Um, That sort of, sort of dialogue. So hopefully that was linear enough for you to follow. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's amazing. Absolutely. This is kind of like the part two question. How did Nurtured Mama evolve into the embodied and uh, wellness. Sorry, I'm losing yeah. my train of thought. <laughs> Embodied and yep. well show. Embodied well show. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's okay. It's actually brand new as of just a few, really like a month ago, I think. Um, so actually, the name evolution arose from a trademark dispute. I was entered into Ooh. a trademark dispute in April, and I, I own the trademark, um, but. Uh, there was a party that felt they had first use rights, and I am engaged for a little while because I had built a brand, you know, around this name, yeah. um, and it felt meaningful to me. But I reached a point where I just realized, you know, it's a name. Um, I don't want to continue to invest my emotions, my finances, um, put my business on pause uh, for this, and I can change the name. And um, and so I started that process and arrived at Embodied and Well. And I actually, I'm really glad. Again, it was a it was a hard experience to go through, but I actually think the evolution to this name um, has helped me sort of refocus on what I'm doing with this, mm-hmm. you know, community and online business. Um, and I think the name actually embodies the intention more and I think it also opens up doors right now it's specifically a mom focused 
community or anyone who identifies as a mother, um, but may leave, you know, it leaves room for, I think, a wider discussion and also for, you know, to open up to parents in general at, at some point. Um, I do feel that there's, it's really important to have a mom or mom identifying focused space um, to have these discussions. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like the evolution of it fits. It feels more a more mature brand to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had to use a lot of my own, you know, put my money where my mouth is in terms of my acceptance work and mm-hmm. mindfulness mm-hmm. and moving with it and, and being in the moment and, and noticing when, if I was in resistance to what was happening, how much more suffering I had to experience mm-hmm. just being resistance of reality, you know? But um, at this point, I'm, I'm really <laughs> grateful uh, so I don't know if that, that probably, I don't know if you know that that's why I changed my name. No, no, but, no, um, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, so that's I, so painful um, yeah, like initially I, though. I can appreciate how hard that is. I mean, like when you've cultivated something from the ground up and that's like, that was like maybe your, your baby, first baby. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, there was a, a little mourning process that I had to go through, but I also realized it was probably primarily mine, although a lot of people <laughs> I asked for feedback on the name and the logo and, and I was getting negative feedback, you know, but mm-hmm. I just had to go with what in my gut felt like the right next mm-hmm. step. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was mostly my grieving process of the name. I think people don't care as much about the name as they care about whether or not you're being helpful to them. And right, so, right. Um, yeah, so I had to go with it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's. That's an amazing story. And I, and I so appreciate um, what you're saying about um, the resistance and, and the suffering and, and, and having to mourn and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and then just having that like, okay, where do I want to put my resources, which, you know, as a parent of two and practice owner yeah. and business owner are just so those resources are limited in so many ways in terms of especially time. You know, yeah. how how does moving on actually increase my ability to to spread those resources in the right places now? So yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially being postpartum, you're so raw. Oh my god! Um, it was just the last thing, you know. <laughs> this is the last thing I need to be dealing with, and you know, of course, it's on leave, and you know, cost money to pay lawyers and things mm-hmm, like that. But mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, I had to, I had to also, I think, be really protective again of mm-hmm. my own. Mm-hmm. It's an example of your self care. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now that I'm sort of like putting the pieces together about sort of that timeline, I remember thinking when you were relaunching, like, oh my goodness, she has this little one. That's amazing. She's relaunching. How how is she? How is she doing that? And it sounds like, again, we ne- that's that's so much about what what we wanted to do with this show is just we never know the rest of any mother's story until we ask. And here I am even in this field and really believing all these things, just being amazed at you relaunching this brand. And I don't know the rest of your story. There's a lot to the rest of your story. There it is. And it can be perceived as, you know, I know I do this myself. When I see other parents in this space doing things, I'm like, oh, she does it all. Or how does she do that? Mm -hmm. Or why can't I do that at Mm -hmm. this time? And, you know, we, you, say you just don't know. You don't know what else isn't happening. You don't know why that's happening. Mm-hmm. You don't know how it's it's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bootlegged this. I mean, I, I went minimum 
<laughs> you know, I did my own logos, everything. I mean, I just, I just had to do it, and I did it as fast as I possibly could. Mm. So it wasn't like this, you know, long drawn out process of evolution. It was out of necessity, but ended up helping me refocus um, and probably grow. So yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. Well, I think that actually leads us um, very well into our next question, which I feel like sounds like a little bit of a ripoff of the Embodied and Well show, but... (laughs) (laughs) Or tribute. (laughs) (laughs) Homage. Homage. Uh, So what what are the ways that you're best finding to take care of yourself lately right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not... Everyone can ask that question. Um... Hi, listeners. Corinne jumping in here for a second. After this interview, Lindsay reached out and wanted to acknowledge that how she answers this question is simply representative of her self-care process and also her level of privilege. And it's a great point. Um, Each of our self-care processes is often reflective of several things, including our level of privilege and what we have access to in terms of resources. Okay, so let's see here. Um, Well, I already mentioned, I I go to therapy regularly. Love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're lifers as well. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We have to get into this business just to support our habit. Um, I also sought pelvic floor therapy. Yes. I wanted to give yes. a major yes. push for, you know, and it was covered by my insurance um, and has been huge. Uh, the expertise in that field is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've been trying to reincorporate some meditation. I've been trying to carve out um, time for fostering friendships. My transition mm-hmm. to motherhood was very lonely and, mm-hmm. you know, lost a couple of like lifelong friends in that process. I think a lot of us experience that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I had to be very patient with that, but, um, you know, fostering those relationships again and making room for that in our family life, uh, has been really important. This postpartum and has been so helpful. Um, you know, being really clear about asking for help from my husband and he can't, he can't read my mind <laughs> as much as I wish he could. Uh, he doesn't always know what I need and I don't always know what he needs. Um, we're still learning this, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's getting better. Um, and just focusing on keeping my work as manageable as possible for the amount of childcare that I have. I am not a work while my kids are around type of person, mm-hmm. at least not in the long term. I learned that the hard way with my first postpartum and, so trying to be really careful with the way I schedule things and, you know, doing my best to, you know, work and keep that during my work hours as much as, as reasonably possible, I think has been really helpful for my own care. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I love that, thinking about that ratio, work to child care. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. us ignore that. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when you own your own business and, mm-hmm. you know, for all anyone it costs money to work once you have kids Mm -hmm. and um you know and i think sometimes we think oh well i could just do that i could just have you know one day of childcare. it's way cheaper that way and i could you know do all these other things while my kids are home and there are a lot of people who do that and they do it really well um and we're really fortunate to be able to um pay for child care you know and have Mm -hmm. access to that Mm -hmm. and 
of work to be able to make that work too. But mm-hmm, I think yeah. that um, it's been really huge. I could use a little, you know, it's always like I could use a little <laughs> more. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's why I have to be really, you know, okay, this is my work and this is what it fits, you know, and this, this is, you know, it's going to stay that way. Awesome. So this this is uh, one of our funner Some questions. fun questions. Yeah, we um, we truly do believe that all foods fit, but there are some foods out there that may have been characterized as kid foods that we might have enjoyed in our childhoods. Are there any kid foods that you love? What's oh, your, like kids from childhood. Yeah, like oh, what's that your... changes the question. Oh, that I was thinking logistically when you sent that question. I was oh, thinking, oh, that's a great thinking, like, way. Portability. If I'm like leaving oh, the house, I like that too. She has that dietitian mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We're like emotionally. What are you connected to? And you're like logistically. <laughs> this is what gets me out the door. <laughs> Quote, kid food, oh man, gosh, so many, but I'd probably say Kraft mac and cheese, can we say brand? Mm. It's got to be Kraft mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Yes, girl. Original, day, not cold. spiral. Yes. <laughs> yeah, not spiral. Yeah, because the cheese doesn't, it doesn't sit the same no, way. It's a no. different cheese. <laughs> it is a different cheese. That's <laughs> what it is. Girl. But the next day cold, for some reason, that Ooh, the next just day. sticks together in a certain way and and um, just always brings me back to my childhood. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, that's probably what comes to mind first. But I'm sure once we get off this call, I'll have a good time recalling all of Oh, <laughs> please, please send them all to I us. Yes. This is, we have so much fun. We've got a question. running tally right now yes. for tater tots. Yes. But yes, you were we'll like. We'll take Kraft oh. Mac, man. I think we might need yeah. to have like a, like a. A food party at I the guess, end. A dinner to honor yes. all our guests. <laughs> like tater tots That'd and be amazing. mac and cheese. Cinnamon oh, toast crunch. Oh, cinnamon toast. <laughs> <laughs> we get carried away with this question. I love it. So this has been amazing. So tell us about where we can find you, what you're most excited about. What do you want um, our mamas to know about for you? Sure. Um, well, I have a podcast. Too. Um, as you've mentioned, it's, it's the Embodied and Well Mom Show, formerly known as the Nurtured Mama Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we have a group to go along with that, um, which is the Embodied and Well Moms Playground. Um, oh my God, the playground. And, is really playground. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> my friend Stephanie Reinold came up with the playground part. I was like, okay, I'll put that That's in there. Awesome. Um, and she's actually a a professional in our field too. She's a, a reproductive, she's a psychiatrist who specializes in eating disorders and reproductive psychiatry. Anywho. Oh my God. Um, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'm, you know, I just uh, started a membership program. It's called the Intuitive Eating Moms Club and I'm really excited about it. I, I feel like it's not a course, so it's different than a course. It's just an ongoing support system with education that goes along with it, and it's it's major infancy. I mean, literally, just started last month, but I'm I'm really excited about this, and I am hoping it is one way to sort of fill those needs of what I was feeling in those sessions and have felt in those sessions. Um, of you know, how do we support get some support resources in there specifically for moms in an ongoing accessible way and 
also a place for them to, you know, maybe they're in the middle of a conversation, a body-related, you know, challenge that they're having with their child, and they can hop in that group and go, this has happened. I said this, or what do I say? Or, mm-hmm. you know, support me here. You know, give me mm-hmm. some support. Um, so, or what are some resources? So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of where I'm at right now. Well. Wonderful. So many great resources. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, love That's that. so cool. Mm-hmm, for sure. And as a Thanks. listener to formerly Nurtured Mama, now the Embodied and Well uh, Moms group is just such a great resource. So it's a Thank great you. listening for sure. Well, I'm excited about your podcast and all of the resources you're offering. I'm so glad we've connected and mm-hmm. thankful you reached out. Um, had me on the show so thank you for all that you're doing thank you oh, that's, to have you both on. that's so <gasps> we would love that we would we'll definitely make that up. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do that. and when we're not <laughs> recording it, it goes even smoother yeah <laughs> <laughs> when someone else is pressing the buttons and knows what they're doing um, i'll have to handle that side yeah I'll yes sure yes please please do <laughs> that's an excellent idea so that's it mom's That's the last bite for today. But in case you're hungry for more, head on over to the Mama Bites website. That's M-O-M-M-A, Mama Bites website, and stream more of our podcasts. Or find them anywhere that you find your podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. And don't forget to stop by Instagram. And definitely come on by our Facebook group, the Mama Bites Lunch Table. We'd love to have you there. And until we meet again next time, Remember, motherhood is a long journey. Don't forget to pack some snacks.